Hello, welcome to Hidden History, an Odyssey through time. I'm your host, John Rodriguez, and this is the fourth episode of the podcast, Answering the Call to Freedom, the Chronicle of Grace D. Banker. Grace D. Banker was a telephone operator who served during World War I as chief operator of mobile for the American Expeditionary Forces in the U.S. Army Signal Corps. She led 32 female telephone operators known popularly as Hello Girls. They were assigned to travel to France to operate telephone switchboards at the war front, and they also operated the telephone switchboards at 1st Army Headquarters at Ligny, about five miles to the south of St. Miel, and later during the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. In 1919, Banker was honored with the Distinguished Service Medal for her services with the 1st Army Headquarters during the St. Miel and later the Meuse-Argonne Offensives with a com- commendation. Grace was the first and only woman operator in the Signal Corps to be awarded the Army's Distinguished Service Medal. After her return to civilian life, Banker and her team members were treated as citizen volunteers and initially not given recognition as members of the military. Banker died on December 17, 1960, in Scarsdale, New York. To begin, it should not come as a shock that women served during World War I in roles other than nurses. There is evidence that women have taken part in wars this country has been involved in since the American Revolutionary War. While Grace and the other telephone operators sailed for France, the United States government was dealing with another war on the home front. Women's suffrage, which dealt with the women's legal right to vote, had begun to pick up steam by the year 1900. Through the hard work of various organizations and a decades-long movement, on August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment's adoption was certified, prohibiting the United States and its states from denying the right to vote to citizens of the United States on the basis of sex, in effect, recognizing the right of women to a vote. Despite this victory for women's rights, Grace and her team of operators would soon learn that they weren't viewed as soldiers by the government. They were viewed as hired civilian telephone operators. Our goal is not only to share Banker's story, but to stress that Grace D. Banker was not just a telephone operator for hire whose story was lost to time. She was a patriot, a wife, and a mother. She was a daughter and a sister. She was a woman who didn't like praise for her actions during World War I. Grace felt she simply did what any able-bodied American would do in a time of great doubt and chaos. Grace Banker's story, hidden history that has remained long forgotten, is the story of an American citizen who answered the call of duty, only to later learn that certain members of Congress were not interested in uniting in the common interests of women's rights. Grace Derby Banker was born in Passaic, New Jersey on October 25, 1892, the daughter of William and Edith Banker. At a time when public education wasn't widely available for women, Grace managed to finish secondary school and graduated from Bernard College, a private women's college in New York, with a double major in French and history. After graduating college in 1915, Grace began to work as a telephone operator for the American Telephone and Telegraph Company, now AT&T, at their headquarters in New York, one of the few jobs available to women at the time. Grace's skills were quickly recognized, and she rose to the role of switchboard instructor. In December 1917, Grace found an advertisement from the U.S. Army 
seeking bilingual women who could operate switchboards, which was relatively new technology at the time. Her brother, Eugene, was already overseas serving in the Army, and Grace took the opportunity to contribute to the effort herself. Four days after reading this advertisement, Grace wrote to the chief signal officer, quote, I understand both French and English and have a thorough knowledge of the telephony, end quote. On January 15, 1918, Grace D. Banker raised her right hand and swore to, quote, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, end quote. Switchboard operators, made up mostly of women, dealt with messages in English and French. Communication between the military command, supply depots, and even the trenches rested in their hands. As it turns out, male recruits did not work out well as switchboard operators. While it took a man an average of 60 seconds to connect a call, a woman was able to do it in only 10. The difference, even by 50 seconds, could mean triumph or defeat in battle. Although the Corps received upwards of 7,000 applications, only 223 women were selected to be sent overseas as switchboard operators. Grace would be part of the first group of women to be sent to France. The Signal Corps frequently connected 150,000 calls a day. It was a job that was fast-paced and draining. The secret codes they used to disguise critical details about the Army's positions and personnel changed quite often to discourage the enemy. The operators underwent months of training and were then given dog tags and uniforms that for the sake of modesty included skirts and bloomers. March 1918. Grace Banker was in a house on River Street in Hoboken. Gathered there with her were 32 female telephone operators and they were all chosen by the U.S. Army Signal Corps for war duty in France. However, at the moment, all they could do was wait until orders arrived for them to sail overseas. The Signal Corps girls wouldn't have to wait long. On March 7th, it was time to set sail. The sight of the 32 young women in their trim navy blue uniforms and smart overseas caps made Grace very proud. She was also very conscious of the heavy responsibilities placed upon her shoulders. 25-year-old Grace D. Banker had been chosen to be the chief operator of mobile for the American Expeditionary Forces in the U.S. Army Signal Corps. After arriving with her team in England, the group set sail by ferry across the English Channel. However, bad weather in the form of thick fog prevented the ferry from reaching French shores, and it had to be anchored a few miles away to wait for the fog to lift. This location made the vessel an easy target for German bombing, and the team members remained at full readiness to evacuate the vessel at short notice, the women stayed on deck in the open for 48 continuous hours. They also narrowly missed being rammed by a French cruiser. This situation did not discourage Banker or her team members, and as Banker later said, quote, What good sports girls were in that first unit. They took everything in their stride. They were the pioneers, end quote. Once they were finally in Paris, Banker and the ladies were divided into three groups one to be stationed in Tours with the SOS, one to remain in Paris, and one to go with Banker to the headquarters of the advanced section at Chamont. The Chamont office was in stone military barracks that had once been the headquarters of the Russian army in France. Now they were General John J. Pershing's headquarters. The telephone office was in a small room on the first floor. Corporal Farmer had been the chief operator, and with the arrival of Banker and her team, 
he turned the work over to her. Banker and her team had to speak both French and English, and they also had to understand American doughboy French. For example, Benwadi Vaux was the average American soldier's way of asking for the French town of Benoit Vaux. The following is a later account given by Banker of her time at Chamont. Quote, Our home in Chamont was a pleasant stone house on the Rue Brule near the edge of the town. Strange to say, it was more or less modern and boasted one of the few bathtubs in Chamont. To be sure, during several water shortages, there was not enough water to use it. Still, did it give an air of respectability and we were very proud of it. General Pershing once made an inspection of our home while I was at Chamont. Up and down three flights of stairs, he never missed a thing. With a wave of my hand and a, this is the kitchen, I would have passed it by, for there wasn't any extra room when the cook and the maid were inside. I always like kitchens, he said, and went in and looked around. It's very clean, he remarked to the old cook, whereupon she bowed low and nearly burst with pride. Once, when some of us saluted the general as he passed by, he turned to Colonel B and said, those girls are real soldiers, end quote. Banker spent five months at Chamont. The work settled down to a routine, and then suddenly, on August 25, 1918, she was ordered to proceed to the 1st Army Headquarters in the town of Linny. Banker was being moved to the war front with only five operators to assist her. Suzanne Prevost, Esther Fresno, Helen Hill, Bertha Arlod, and Marie Lange. All night long, the rumble of marching feet, trucks, and artillery rang through the streets of Linny. Banker and her team were told they were about five miles south of St. Miel. Whether they believed that or not, they certainly knew they were not far off. Side note, the Battle of St. Miel was a major World War I battle fought from the 12th to the 15th of September, 1918, involving the American Expeditionary Forces and 110,000 French troops under command of General John J. Pershing of the United States against German positions. 4,500 soldiers were killed in action fighting for the Allied powers. Banker and her team had an office and a house on the main street. Sandbags piled high on the outside gave it a warlike appearance. Within, the office was bare enough, a few switchboards behind which were still piled rolls of wire and kegs of nails. A large packing box also stood there. For days, it served as a combination chair desk. With only five girls, including Banker, to provide 24-hour service, the task was nearly impossible, although at first some of the Signal Battalion boys helped them out at night. As Banker would later say, quote, Everybody worked hard, yet no one seemed to complain. The excitement carried us along, end quote. During offensive operations at St. Miel, though artillery bombing was in force, Banker and her team of operators manned the switchboards. On September 20th, Banker and her team left Linny, traveling light with only suitcases. The 1st Army headquarters were moving to the small village of Suyi. Banker and her operators had to work in old barracks that had survived vicious assaults by the Germans in 1914. As such, it was a heavily damaged structure. The barracks leaked, there was no heat, and the operators had to work under severe weather conditions. They even operated under heavy bombing by German planes, although no members of the team were injured. On top of all that, the barracks were later gutted, making conditions even harsher. Banker had this to say about her time in those barracks, quote, Roof leaked in the autumn rains, 
The weather was cold, for winter comes early in the hills about Verdun. By October, there was ice on the water pails in the morning. Once I froze my feet badly without even going out of the barracks. I had been working long hours with very little sleep. Before a drive, I seldom had more than two or three hours of rest." End quote. I know that just hearing about living and working in these conditions are tough, but imagine actually being there in person dealing with that. Grace D. Banker and her team of operators, along with all of the other operators serving during the war, had to deal with situations we today cannot even imagine. These women were heroes and had every right to complain, and yet here is what was on Grace's mind. Quote, I kept thinking of the boys in the trenches. They were so much worse off. We didn't really suffer. We had plenty of warm food. We were happy in our work, and we had fine officers to work for. The Signal Corps officers at the First Army were very thoughtful. They watched over us carefully." End quote. In November, Banker received new travel orders. She was to go forward with a tiny group of girls to dun sur where the next headquarters would be. One of the original five women that traveled with Banker to Linny would be left in charge of the new girls who had arrived to take over the work. However, three days later, the armistice was signed and the orders were revoked. On November 11, 1918, after more than four years of horrific fighting and the loss of millions of lives, the guns on the Western Front fell silent. Although fighting continued elsewhere, the armistice, or formal agreement, between the last remaining opponent, Germany, and the Allies, was the first step to ending World War I. The global reaction was one of mixed emotions, relief, celebration, disbelief, and a profound sense of loss. The Treaty of Versailles, the peace treaty that ended the state of war between Germany and the Allied powers, was officially signed on June 28, 1919. The night before the actual signing of the armistice, Banker was on duty in the office. Suddenly, the door opened and half skipping in a sort of lockstep formation, in came all of the French soldiers from their office beyond. In response to her express amazement, one of the French soldiers made an exclamation in French and then repeated himself in English, quote, I could jump up and hit the ceiling, end quote. Banker's work with the First Army was at an end, but first the girls were granted a leave, and after months of work, when for days on end they were on duty anywhere from 12 to 20 hours a day, a leave probably sounded very attractive to Banker. Banker left for Nice in France, but was soon ordered to return to Paris with her team. While the ladies were presented with hotel life in Paris and all the comforts they enjoyed before the war, they didn't care for it at all. They missed the First Army with its code of loyalty and hard work. Banker summed up their feelings the best, quote, we were back in the petty squabbles of civilian life, end quote. It was during this time in Paris that Banker was given charge of the work in the temporary residence of President Woodrow Wilson. She did not find the work at the president's house particularly exciting, so when a choice came to stay or go to the Army of Occupation in Koblenz, Germany, Banker left Paris and went to the Rhine. It was in Germany on May 22, 1919, with Government Order Number 70, that Grace D. Banker was awarded the Distinguished Service Medal for her services with the First Army Headquarters during the St. Miel and Meuse-Argonne Offensives, with the commendation which read, quote, For exceptionally meritorious and distinguished services, she served with exceptional ability as Chief Operator in the Signal Corps Exchange at General Headquarters, 
American Expeditionary Forces and later in a similar capacity at First Army Headquarters. By untiring devotion to her exacting duties under trying conditions, she did much to assure the success of the telephone service during the operations of the First Army against the St. Miel Salient and the operations to the north of Verdun." End quote. Grace had this to say about receiving the medal, quote, Whatever glory may go with that medal, I have always felt belongs in large measure to the very small but very loyal and devoted group of First Army girls, Suzanne Prevu, Mrs. Bertha Hunt, Adele Hoppick, Esther Fresno, Helen Hill, and Marie Lange, end quote. In early September 1919, Banker sailed for home. She had enlisted for the, quote, duration of the war, end quote. For her, that had meant 20 months in the service. Grace D. Banker and the other telephone operators arrived home in the United States to learn that even though they had proudly worn Army uniforms, operated under Army command and regulations, and been informed of highly sensitive military information, the government considered them neither soldiers nor veterans. According to the United States government, these women had been civilian, quote, contract employees, end quote even though they had never signed nor been offered contracts of employment. They were not, the Army told them, eligible for veterans' benefits or recognitions. They also did not receive formal discharges or even certificates of service. Sadly, this was not the first time that a soldier was denied recognition. Previously on Hidden History, we did an episode about a woman named Deborah Sampson who disguised herself as a man and served bravely during the American Revolutionary War. Upon the completion of the war, Deborah would fight for years for recognition and back payment she was owed due to her service. It was 11 years after Deborah was dead and gone that the United States government awarded her family the equivalent of a full pension. Most would agree when I say that the United States of America is the greatest country in the world, but we have our flaws, as all nations do. Some stain the pages of history heavily, such as the terrible issue of slavery, while others are lost in the sands of time. We as a society must study these flaws and hope to never repeat them again. Unfortunately, at the time when Grace and the other telephone operators arrived home, it seemed the United States government had not learned from past errors. Major Roy H. Coles, Signal Corps, wrote on May 17, 1921 to several state veterans bonus boards, quote, I was, during the final few weeks, as Chief Signal Officer on General Pershing's staff, in the very best position to know of the sacrifices and devotion to duty shown by these heroic young ladies, who gave up everything, placed themselves subject to the strictest kind of military discipline, braved the perils of the submarine-infested seas, and shared the hardships and privations which come to any army in a theater of operation, shoulder to shoulder with officers, enlisted men, and nurses, without murmur and without complaint. Their orders, with which they had no option but to comply, sent them in their soldiers' uniforms to all parts of the theater of operations of our army, and the hardships, privations, and dangers which they were called upon to endure were of as common occurrence as those in the case of the average officer and soldier. And I bespeak for these 350 young ladies, and for each of them, every consideration which individuals, bodies, states, or the nation may see fit to give to any part of our armed forces during the recent war. 
General Pershing and Brigadier General Russell, the chief signal officer of the American EF during all the period of the war, have already lavishly praised the loyalty, devotion to duty, and spirit of self-sacrifice with which the 350 members of these female telephone operating units were imbued. And I am certain that they would feel as keenly as I do in any intimation that these ladies were other than a part of the American expeditionary forces in the fullest sense of the words and of the phrase, end quote. Grace Banker married a civil engineer named Eugene Hiram Paddock in 1922. Five years after the war, on Memorial Day 1924, Grace donned her army uniform and stood with General John Pershing when he went to Passaic to dedicate the memorial in honor of World War I soldiers that stands in Armory Park. Around that time, Grace and her husband settled down in Scarsdale, New York, where they had four children. Grace dedicated the rest of her life to raising the couple's children, but spoke openly and fondly of her time in the Signal Corps, remembering, quote, Our work made me a bigger person than I was before, end quote. In 1938, Grace wrote an article about her time in France. Little did she know that many years later, that article would be used by other telephone operators seeking validation as veterans. A small-time podcast host would also use that article about Grace's experience during World War I to share her story with the world. Grace Banker Paddock died of cancer on December 17, 1960, in Scarsdale, New York. She was buried with her husband in Greenwood Cemetery, Brooklyn. She was 68 years old at the time of her death. Between 1927 and 1977, many bills were introduced to Congress to obtain recognition for the female telephone operators who served during World War I, but they all failed to be passed. Finally, on November 23, 1977, President Jimmy Carter announced the signing of the GI Bill Improvement Act of 1977. Hidden within this new bill was the due recognition that Grace D. Banker and her team wanted all along, as well as, quote, veterans benefits to these fine women, end quote. Although it took 60 years, at long last, these fine patriots were recognized as veterans of this country and treated as such. For those very few telephone operators that were still alive, November 1977 was a major victory. It's just a damn shame that Grace didn't live to see the day. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Each episode of Hidden History will explore a story that has been hidden in the pages of history and needs to be told. Pictures, newspaper clippings, and links to external articles relating to a particular episode will be available on our website. Thanks again for listening. I'm John Rodriguez, and this has been Hidden History, an odyssey through time.